0: Uh, let's get Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, and we're continuing our verse-by-verse study in the book of Daniel, been in this book for a while, nevertheless, uh, we are going to take our time in these verses here. This is one of those critical places in Scripture, the end of Daniel 9 is packed with prophetical material that is of the utmost importance to understand. Now, we are at verse 20 today, so we're not... Verse 24 is where all of the really deep prophetical stuff begins, and we're going to take our time there. Uh, But today we'll probably just scratch the surface. Some practical things to discuss beginning in verse 20. Remember that Daniel has been praying and confessing and supplicating. This continues on in verse 20. He says, and whilst I was speaking... So he's still praying. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. All right, praying. Let me step back just one little thing there. While I was speaking. Do you see that? He's speaking. So presumably he's saying these things out loud and that's what he's referring to there. But uh, that also tells us a little bit something I think important about prayer. Sometimes when you're praying, you're just speaking to the Lord. The next thing in the list is praying, right? Praying is asking something. So that'll be a specific, you're making a request. But you know, and I know when we talk to each other, it's not always a request. We can have a conversation and not be making requests of each other. Sometimes we're just telling stories to each other. You ever done that when you pray? Say, Lord, today I met so-and-so, and and he said this, and I said this, and you just tell the story as if he didn't know it. (laughs) But this is part of pouring out your heart to the Lord. Have you ever said this or maybe thought this? Say, I just need to get this off my chest. Isn't it nice to have somebody that you can talk to that has a a willing ear, a keen ear, a discerning ear, and who better than the Lord to listen to you pour out your heart? Save you the money of a psychologist, Bill. (laughs) Right? And you're going to get a lot better advice if you pour out your heart to the Lord. Amen. He says, while I was speaking and praying. So there he's, he's asking for some things and then confessing my sin, all right? So Daniel puts himself as part of the problem. He recognizes that he may not be the most wicked man in Israel, but he knows that he is not innocent either and that he had some things that needed to be confessed. Confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, all right? Supplicating, that is begging God. Now you're asking, yes, you're asking for something but, but it has some earnest behind it. This is fervently, earnestly begging God to do it. And then it tells us, uh, for the holy mountain of my God. Now, that holy mountain will be Mount Zion. And we'll talk more about that in future verses here. Verse 21, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel. Now, the man Gabriel, we all know this is an angel, yes? Just come back one chapter, get chapter 8, verse 16. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and start reading at verse 15. We've already been introduced to Gabriel in this book. And I think you're all familiar with Gabriel, especially from the New Testament side of things. He is the angel that was deployed to give the good news to Mary that she would bring forth the Savior and so, so on. But verse 15, it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. Then behold, there stood before me as the what? Appearance, appearance of a man. You see that? He had the, he's not a man. But he looked like one. And I've mentioned this before, just mention it again quickly now. All the angels that appear to men in the Bible, they also, these angels, appear as men. None of them appear as females in the Bible. They're all males. All right, so come back to chapter 9 now, verse 21. So referring to Gabriel as a man, that's just referring to his outward appearance, that particular form he adopted in order to come down and deliver the message. 921 says, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. All right, so the moment that Daniel started to pray, you can see in verse 22, he informed me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding at the beginning of thy supplications. The commandment came forth and I am come to show thee. Right when Daniel got down to pray, God looked over and said, Gabriel, head out and tell him, tell him this message. Now he's got a big message, and that's what we're gonna get into in the weeks to follow, but immediately. Now Daniel didn't, this, this command was given to Gabriel in chapter nine, verse three, the moment Daniel started to pray. By the time we get to verse 19, right, the angel's almost there. That's moving. <laughs> You realize how fast he's going? I mean, forget about the speed of light. That's way faster than anything like that. Zoom, down he comes, and he's there to talk to Daniel. Now, not all prayer gets answered this quickly, right? Yeah. Not, not always do we see heaven jump to action in such a way. And, and wouldn't you know it, today's sermon pushes right into that idea. We're talking today in the main service. And by the way, if you don't normally stick around for the main service, I really encourage you to stick around because these two messages go together. We're talking about persistence in prayer. And sometimes you knock and nothing, knock and nothing, knock. And you just got to keep knocking and knocking and knocking. Now, by the time we get to Daniel 10, just look at Daniel 10, verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Verse 3, I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And then it goes on to tell the story how it took him three weeks to get that prayer through. Three weeks of intense prayer and fasting. And then the, and another angel shows up and he explains to Daniel why he wasn't able to get there as quickly as, as the time before. And we'll obviously look more at that in chapter 10. But sometimes you got to know that when you're praying, things in heaven are starting to move. Uh, now, wh- how do we know that? Because we have it revealed to us in the Bible. We, we haven't seen that happen. And you may not think, well, you know, that might happen for Daniel, but not for me. Careful now. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It avails much. You say, well, I'm not Daniel. I'm not Moses. I'm not Elijah. Have you read James 5? I just quoted you the end of verse 16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You guys know what comes in verse 17? Even as Elias who is a man of like passions as we are, he prayed and shut heaven for three and a half years, prayed again opened open the heavens. But, but James is careful to put in there, Elias, Elijah, who is a man of like passions as we are. That way we don't get this idea of, well, that's them. They're a special group. Anybody, when they pray and they pray right, effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, it works. It works. We see it working for Daniel here. Now, also something I want to point out back in verse 21, and this is more for the sake of learning and not the whole lot of practical side to this. Perhaps there is, but at the end of verse 21, it says, He touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Right In the, in the Old Testament, the Jews were commanded, specifically the priesthood, twice a day they were, off, they were to offer a sacrifice, daily sacrifice, the Bible called it. They had to offer one in the morning, And one in the evening, you can go back, it's in Exodus chapter 29, specifically verse 39. Offer up this many lambs and do it in this fashion. And there were all kinds of offerings and sacrifices that a Jew could give during the day. But those two, every day, had to be offered. And the timing of it, it was the morning and the evening. Now, I'm going to show you from the New Testament how we get this Where we see the timing, but then I'll show you some Old Testament verses as well. Matter of fact, let me start off in the Old Testament. Let's get Psalm chapter 55. We'll work our way into the book of Acts here. Psalm chapter 55. So Daniel, he's getting his prayer answered about the time of the evening oblation, which tells us that that's when he got down to pray. It was right about that time. And that time will be about 3 p.m. I know that doesn't sound like evening to us, but that was the Jew. If he waited till 6 p.m., that was too close to the end. So by the time you get all the work done and get the animal up on the altar and the fire going, or let's say the fire consuming the animal, it takes some time. So 3 p.m. On a Jews' watch, that was what he called the ninth hour of the day. That was the evening oblation or sacrifice <coughs> and then the morning offering that was at what we would call 9 a.m for a jew that would be the third hour of the day because a jew starts counting time at 6 a.m in the morning and then 6 p.m that starts his evening now what that is why after the temple got knocked down during the days of nebuchadnezzar they were not able to go to the temple And offer these sacrifices, hence they couldn't go to the temple and give these uh, regimented prayers. But they continued doing it anyway at those specific times just to honor the system that God had set up. Do you remember Daniel chapter 6 verse 10? How many times in the day did Daniel pray? Three times, remember that? He'd go in, open the windows, pray towards where the temple used to stand in Jerusalem three times a day. So we get the morning and the evening But look at Psalm 55 in verse 17. He says, David writing here, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. The Jews from the earliest days prayed three times a day. Now, where did that third time... the, The morning and evening, it is linked. Even the Jews will tell you this. It is linked to those oblations. But then what about that one at noon? When you go back into the book of Genesis... The Jews claim that Abraham had a special time of prayer with God in the morning, that Isaac had a special time of prayer with God, and it happened at noon, and then Jacob had a special time of prayer with God, and it happened at at the evening at 3 p.m. So that's why they chose three times in the day to offer up these special prayers. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's a good 400 years plus-minus before you know well there's quite a bit of time there that's let's say two to four hundred years before moses that that system of prayer was already there and then under moses you get these evening and morning oblations and then they just synced up with with the times of prayer coming back from those uh forefathers all right now come to the book of acts chapter two and you'll see that even these earliest christians and remember they were jews Before, they were Christians, so there were certain aspects of their culture that did not violate any New Testament principles. It didn't violate or contradict anything Jesus taught them, so they continued on with these things. Acts 2, verse number 15. Now, we're not uh, trying to learn everything about this context. I'm just pointing out the timing of it here. Everybody knows what's happening in Acts chapter 2, right? This is Pentecost. And Jews from all over the then known world. They were in the dispersion, but they would come back to Jerusalem for this major feast day. Three times every year, all the male Jews had to come back to Jerusalem. And this is one of those special times. Uh, Acts 2.15, Peter says, For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. That's the time of the morning sacrifice. And they were gathered in the temple, not just the apostles and the, the believers, the disciples, but all the Jews were gathered there for the Feast of Pentecost. So you see them gathering. Now, they didn't, you don't read about them making any prayers in the chapter because the Holy Ghost came down and something else started to take place. But you can see that they were gathered. Look at Acts chapter uh, 3, verse 1. Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of what? Prayer. So these guys had a, had a designated time that they would go pray together, and it says being the ninth hour. That ninth hour, see that third hour of the day, that's 9 a.m. The ninth hour of the day for a Jew is 3 p.m. Everybody follow me there? Ninth hour of the day. That matches up with the evening oblation. This will be the same timing as when Daniel uh, talk to Gabriel in, in Daniel nine. Alright, look at Acts chapter ten. Get verse nine. Acts ten, verse nine. Cornelius has been praying and fasting and offering alms and God has now sent told him to send for Peter, who can tell him how to be saved. Because hey listen, in the New Testament Praying and fasting and giving alms doesn't save you. Amen? We, we know that. Being a good man doesn't save you. Be, being a good man, right? God takes, takes a knowledge of that. He, takes, he recognizes that. But your goodness is not enough. He says, send for Peter. He'll tell you how to get saved. Because your righteousness never matches up to the righteousness of God. Just thought I'd throw that in. That's extra. It has nothing to do with the topic. Just, just letting you know. Verse 9, on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now the sixth hour for a Jew, that's high noon. So there's your three times in the day. And actually, Peter is involved in every one of them. Did you see that? He had Acts 2, he had Acts 3, and he had Acts 10, all of them. Okay, so let's come back to Daniel 9. So I just wanted you to see that those three times a day, three times of the day, has a deep biblical uh, precedence all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Before we continue on here, verse 22, can I just ask you, do you have a schedule for prayer? I mean, there, there's no command that says we have to pray three times a day, there's no command that tells you not to. Just saying. I, I mean, if, if, you want, if you want a verse, I'd give you another one Psalm 119. David said, seven times in the day do I thank thee for thy laws and thy precepts. Mm-hmm. I mean, so if you want a Bible verse, there's seven times a day. <laughs> right? We, we pray without cease. We continue instant in prayer. There's, I'm not saying you have time necessarily to go into the closet and shut the door, but you ought to have that attitude of prayer consistently going. And, and guys, I, you get this. I'm sure you do. You pray while you drive, right? Some of you. Please, please, don't close your eyes. Right? We we don't drive by faith, <laughs> not by faith alone. Right? We, you need to keep your eyes on the road, but you can pray while you drive. It's a good time to pray while you drive. Right? Pr- pray for patience. <laughs> Tribulation <laughs> worketh patience. So you, there's a good time to pray. Any a good time to pray. But but there is a time for private, pr- personal, private prayer where you lock yourself in the prayer closet. And then there's a time to pray just with others and as you go about your day. There's different ways to go about prayer. But I would strongly suggest, as, as we've seen, go ahead and get you a schedule. Right? I'm not saying live slavishly to that schedule, but it's good that you work it into your day somehow. You understand? The schedule's not God. You can't always follow it, okay, but at least make that effort. There's, you should have that in your day. All right, Daniel 9, verse 22. And he informed me. And talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. All right, skill in the, in the things of God. He wants you to be, he wanted Daniel to be skillful, knowledgeable in how God's calendar works, what is God's plan for Israel. Right, he wants him to have skill and, verse 22, and understanding. Understanding in the Bible deals with the bigger picture. Now that is going to be. Very important as we move on. Daniel is only looking at the little picture. Daniel is looking at the 70 years that Israel has just come through, the 70 years that have been prophesied in the book of Jeremiah. He's looking at that. And and Daniel sees that all the way back to the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God had promised to punish Israel in this manner. You would think that to be the big picture, right? From, From Moses... To the time of Daniel, you have almost, let's say about 900 years plus minus. You would think that Daniel sees the big picture, but he's not seeing it. He's looking at these 70 years of captivity and says, now it's done. And Gabriel shows up and says, God wants to show you the bigger picture. You need to have skill and understanding. Now, if I can also say here, guys, we should also be seeking to have some skill and understanding as as to how God works, especially with the nation of Israel. It is of the utmost importance that we know how God deals with his chosen people. And, and this isn't the time of the, the lesson for this, but it's a dangerous thing to begin to think we, as the church, as the body of Christ, have taken the place of Israel. It's a dangerous false teaching. Paul makes, makes a, a very clear statement about this in the book of Romans, chapter 11, and verse 25. Blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the times become in. Because even back in Paul's day, people were starting to say, God has forsaken his people. God has done away with the children of Israel. He is completely finished with them. God's moving on to other people now. God temporarily has blinded Israel, turned his back on them. It is a punishment. But God is never going to be ultimately and completely, utterly finished with the nation of Israel. As soon as you say, we have taken Israel's place, then you're going to dive into the Old Testament, grab their promises, and apply them to yourself, and you'll be a promise thief. You'll be a scriptural thief. And it's going to become nearly impossible to study the Bible properly. You have to rightly divide the the word of truth. There's the nation of Israel. That's one entity. God has a covenant with them, right? Right? And then there's the body of Christ. God has a covenant with us. They are not the same covenant. They, they don't operate the same. There are some similarities, but we're two separate entities. And you must recognize that. All right. So Gabriel says, Daniel, God wants you to see how he's operating with his people. Not just for these 70 years, but there's a much bigger time frame and a much more important time frame that is going to be put into action very soon. Verse 23 He says, at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. My goodness. We got to pause there for a moment. Thou art greatly beloved. I want you to put yourself in Daniel's position just for a moment. For the last, what, five, ten minutes, twenty minutes, I don't know how long it took for him to pray all this. He has been pouring out his heart. He's been confessing his sin, right? Isn't, Isn't that what it says? Confessing his sin and the sin of his people. How gross were those sins? They were bad. Daniel, he's looking at this saying, God, we deserved everything that we got. And then to hear the angel come down and say, here's heaven's opinion of you. What's his opinion of himself? God, we are low down. We are dirty. We are defiled. We deserve all the punishment and we deserve the curse. We deserve, right? That's. Many times we can get very harsh on ourselves, and rightfully so, because we've earned that, that opinion of ourselves. But then you ask God, God, what do you think of me? Folks, I'm telling you, this will keep you out of, out of pits of depression and despair. You, you need to go by God's estimation, God's opinion of you, not just your opinion of you. God said, Daniel, you're a man greatly beloved. Now just think of how that would impact you. If you were to hear that, I, I, I can see it on some of your faces. It's the same way I would feel. If, if I heard that, I'd say, is he talking to me? Right? I'd look around and go, okay, no, no, you got the wrong Mike Flick. You can't be talking to me. But he says, thou art a man greatly beloved. Now, God would not tell that to a man if he thought that that man would let that go to his head. Right? Part of him being greatly beloved is he was humble enough to take the compliment. And and not let it puff him up. But what a compliment. I want to show you a few times where God gives his opinion of people. Look at Isaiah chapter 41. Heaven does have an opinion of you. Right now. Right this moment. Heaven has an opinion of you. What would it be? Isaiah 41 verse 8. Now this is actually... This was originally quoted back in 2 Chronicles 20, but now God is saying it himself here. Isaiah 41 verse 8, but thou Israel art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my what? God says, I want to tell you who my friend is. God has a friend. That's a a special designation. Again, stick around for the the sermon this morning because we're going to talk about being friends with God a little bit in that sermon. Imagine God saying, we're friends. That, that's something. That's not to be taken lightly. We're friends. You know what I would do? If I, if I saw this in the Bible, I would go home today and start studying Genesis and say, what did Abraham do to earn that designation? Right? I want to be like Abraham, the friend of God. All right? Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles chapter 28. Who you're friends with says a lot about you. Amen? Is that right? Church, you agree with that? Who you hang out with says a lot about you. Moms and dads, please, when your teenagers get back in here, tell them that I said that. <laughs> Amen. Who you hang out with, who your friends are, says a lot about you. Dr. Ruckman used to say it all the time. Birds of a feather flock together. It's not original to him, but that's where I first heard it. Birds of a feather flock together. We can tell what kind of bird you are. (laughs) Some of you are chickens. (laughs) Some of you fly with eagles. (laughs) Some of you are turkeys. (laughs) Some of you are vultures. (laughs) Okay, we're not preaching about birds here, but (laughs) anyway. First Chronicles 28 verse four. "Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me." this is David speaking here, "The Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father, to be king over Israel forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler and the house of Judah uh, and of the house of Judah, sorry the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he, what? Right. liked me to make me king over all Israel. Only time in the Bible. You ever read about God liking somebody? He loves everybody. But he liked David. Now there are many, can we say, bainama, that are given to David, little, little lines, little phrases attached to him, a man after God's own heart. That's, that's a big one, right? He served his generation by the will of God. That's a big deal. Wouldn't that be something, if we could write that on your tombstone? This man served his generation by the will of God. He did the will of God. That's how he helped people. That's a great compliment. But here, David knew it. God had made it clear to him. The reason God put me where I'm at, he liked me. He liked me. That's a compliment. Look at Numbers chapter 12. I'd start studying the life of David, seeing if there's a few things I might be able to learn from him. I want God to like me. Numbers 12 Verse number three, Numbers twelve and verse three. Some people were talking behind the pastor's back. Here, it was the pastor's family. <laughs> I, I can say this freely because my wife's somewhere else teaching Sunday school right now, so <laughs> and my daughter is in class right now. But uh, Moses, his brother and sister, were talking behind his back. Moses was the little brother. You know that, right? Yeah. Miriam was much older, and Aaron was three years older than Moses. Miriam was probably a good. 12, 13 years older than Moses, something like that. But now they're picking on their brother, talking about him behind his back and you know yip-yapping about him marrying that Ethiopian girl and so forth. God wasn't going to put up with that. So verse 3, now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. The meekest man on the earth. That's, That's saying something. Now Jesus hadn't shown up yet, so Jesus would excel that. Right? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. So to be the meekest man on the earth is, is to say you have one of the qualities of Jesus down very well. That's saying something. And the reason that's important to this story is because Moses is not going to rise up and defend himself. He's going to let God defend him. That's part of being meek. Moses isn't in this to try to win public opinion. You want to talk behind Moses' back? All right. There's a little song they used to sing. You can talk about me, just all you please. I'll talk about you down on my knees. <laughs> all my sins are washed away. I've been redeemed. That's good. That's good. Eh? That's what Moses would do. People start talking about him. Wham! He'd hit, He'd fall to his face and start praying because it wasn't about his reputation. Come on down to verse, <clears throat> verse um, oh, six. He said, "Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you." I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. That was the normal mode of operation. Verse 7, my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. That's a, that's a compliment. Verse 8, with him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently. I, I, I will appear to him, in other words. And not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. God is telling them there's something special about Moses. Something special about him. Uh, Take your Bible, come to Job chapter 1. What a compliment. Heaven has an opinion of you. Job chapter 1. Job 1, let's get verse number 8. Here's a a compliment straight from the Lord's mouth. Job 1, verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. He he runs away from evil. He abhors it. He abstains from it. That's God saying there's nobody like this guy. Job 1, verse 8. Isn't that something? That's a compliment. Would he say that about you? I'm not asking you to rank yourself, but at least can you make the attempt at the end of verse 8 to be an upright man, fearing God, and staying as far away as you can from evil rather than tiptoeing around the edge of it? Rather than just dipping your toe in here and there? Well, it's not that much, and a little sin doesn't hurt. Not Job. Job said, I'll just stay as far far away from that as I can. Why? Because I love God. I fear God concerned about what he thinks. Come to Matthew chapter 11. Heaven has an opinion. Matthew 11. All right, here's Jesus giving his older cousin a great compliment. Matthew 11 and verse 11, verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. My goodness. You realize when he's saying this, this was on John's worst day. John had just got done doubting whether or not Jesus was truly the Messiah. John, he's human, he's frail, he's a sinner. He had a moment of weakness. And in that moment, Jesus able to see the big picture, says, no, no, this is of all the people that have been born. John's the man, not risen or greater. And then Jesus finishes, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, which talks about, hey, there's, don't think that John's the only one that can achieve this. There's some potential anybody that presses into this kingdom can also reach such a compliment. But that's, again, a lesson for another time. Matthew chapter 3 Matthew 3, heaven has an opinion. And every now and again, God will tell you what that is. Matthew 3, Jesus has just been baptized. In verse 16, the Spirit of God is descended like a dove. Verse 17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Heaven has an opinion. And when it came to Jesus Christ... God was not afraid, the father was not afraid to voice that opinion. This boy makes me happy. It's my son. I'm well pleased. Not just pleased, but well pleased in him. All right, so come back to Daniel chapter 9. So you see that heaven has an opinion. Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians 2, he made himself of no reputation. You guys remember that? So the man who wants to have a good reputation as far as heaven is concerned doesn't worry about his reputation. He's not worried about looking good. He's not worried about how many compliments he can compile. He just goes about doing right because it's the right thing to do. He loves God because God's worth loving. Whether or not the heavens open and God says it out loud for everybody to hear, look, there's my son and he's oh, that's the best one in the earth. That's not about that. None of these men in the list were trying to achieve some great standing in the eyes of man. Nor were they just moving about wanting God to shower them with compliments. None of them were expecting these things. They just went about doing right because it was the right thing to do. Daniel 9 now, verse number 23. At the end of it, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. All right? So try to wrap your head around What he's about to say. And the same thing is true for us. We should attempt to understand the way God works with the nation of Israel. The plan of God moving forward with prophecy. We are looking through the glass darkly. So we're not going to figure it all out. You should just know that before we jump in there. You're not going to figure it out. But it shouldn't stop you from attempting. You should consider it. Look at it and say, let me try to understand this as best I can. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Alright, so Daniel is now being shown the bigger picture. Seventy weeks. That, the word for weeks there, it's in Hebrew, it, it's linked to the word Shabbat or Shaboath. And it, is, it means sevens or weeks. You can translate it either way. So you could read it as seventy sevens, but it's proper to say seventy weeks. When you look in the, uh, there's a dictionary, a special dictionary called a Strong's Concordance or a Strong's Dictionary, and it will tell you what various Hebrew words mean. So when you look up this Hebrew word behind weeks, this is what it says. Literally, it means sevened. So 77, 77 you, you, you times it by sevens. That is, and it goes on to say literally sevened, that is a week, specifically of years. It puts that in parentheses. A week, parentheses, specifically of years. So it is a week of years. How many days are in a week? Seven. But in this week, the way this word is used biblically, it is seven years in a week. Each day would stand for a year, the way that this word is used. Now, there's a couple of ways that you know when we read 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. We, we know that it's not just 70, 20, or, uh, 490 24-hour days. You understand why I'm saying it that way? Because right? 70 weeks, that would be 490 days. If it was 490 days, as we know them, 24-hour days, the prophecy that is mentioned in verse 24, 25, 26, and 27, it, it did not happen in that time. It couldn't have been. There was too much in there. So immediately when Daniel hears this, he would have known there's something bigger going on here. All right. Now um, let's understand what we're dealing with in verse 24. And then I'm going to show you some other verses. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Remember that's what he's praying about. The mountain of his God, Jerusalem, Mount Zion. He says, Daniel, it's not just a matter of 70 years of captivity. Now you're done. You go back. Everything's done. Jews are going to be fine. Israel's planted in their homeland. Nothing else is ever going to happen. to them. Daniel, don't think that. Daniel, there's a bigger story here. There is 490 more years that we have to deal with. And then by the time we're done dealing with Israel for 490 years, the whole calendar is complete, prophecy will be fulfilled, and then Israel is settled in their land, never to be moved out of it again. So Daniel's saying, God, please bring us back. Please have mercy. God's saying, okay, I will, but that's not the whole show. In order for me to answer your prayer completely and fully, we need 490 more years. We need 70 sevens. We need 70 weeks to do that. All right, so this day-year system. Let's come to Ezekiel chapter 4. All right, Ezekiel chapter 4, and get verse number 4. Ezekiel chapter 4 and verse 4. And This is God telling the prophet to make himself a living sermon illustration. And of all the men that God ever called into the ministry, I've, I almost feel sorry for Ezekiel, because he had to do some of the strangest and most heartbreaking things you can imagine. And this is one of them. Uh, Verse 4, lie thou also upon thy left side, and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it, according to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon it, thou shalt bear their iniquity, for I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity, according to the number of the days, 390 days, so shalt thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. So when dealing with Israel's sins, do you see that? when dealing with the iniquity of the house of Israel, in order to show them prophetically what was going to happen. He says, I want you to lay on your side, but Ezekiel, I can't have you lay in there for 390 years. That's how long Israel had been sinning. He says, I want you to lay there one day for every year. So you're going to lay on your side, your left side, 390 days. No, thank you. <laughs> he had to make a special... Bread, I mean, I'll let you read the chapter later, but that was tough. And after that, he said, that's the house of Israel. Now flip over to the other side, time for the house of Judah, 40 more days, day equals a year. So here we see God clearly saying the day equals year system is a viable system when dealing with the iniquity of the house of Israel. And that's what we're dealing with in Daniel chapter 9. All right, so come to Numbers chapter 14. Let's see it again there. Numbers 14, Numbers 14 and verse number 34. <clears throat> so they uh, sent spies to go look at the land of Canaan, bring report back. You guys surely remember the story. Ten of them bring an evil report, say there's no way we can overcome the giants. And two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said, ah, God God has this. The Lord said we could do it, we can do it. And the people, they were there checking it out for 40 days, right? So, verse 34, After the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even 40 days, each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities, there it is again, even 40 years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. So God, when he says breach of promise, it's not that he's breaking his promise, he's not going to take him into the land. He had told them, you can go in right now. But they, because of their unbelief, slowed down the plan. So he says, the reason I'm not going to let you in right now is because of this unbelief. He said, so now each day for a year, you doubted that, that search party 40 days, now 40 years you wander. So come back to Daniel 9. And it all had to do with their iniquity. So Daniel 9 verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for what? Iniquity. We're dealing with the iniquities of the house of Israel. God says, Daniel, you're praying about this small little window of a picture just down here in the little corner in the little bottom. You're only seeing a small part of this. I'm going to show you now the whole picture. How long is it going to take until Israel gets things completely right with God, all sin, transgression, and iniquity taken care of so that they can be in their land? You can see how it finishes up. Once sin is dealt with, then it says to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy so all the prophecies about Israel be fulfilled and to anoint the most holy. There's Jesus inaugurated on the throne King of kings, Lord of lords, how long till we get to that? And again, all you have to do, you can, it's simple math. If you you want to push the idea that it's 490 days, 24-hour days, well, the most holy hasn't been anointed. Israel wasn't dealt with, uh, and their iniquities were not forgiven, and all of that didn't happen within that time frame. So it has to be a different time frame. And knowing how God operates with Israel, we can see clearly it has to be Seventy weeks, those weeks are of years, so 490 years. Daniel was looking, remember this, we learned it last time, 490 years. Every seventh year, they didn't let the land rest, so that's why God punished them for 70 years. 490 divided by seven equals 70. Now Daniel's praying about those 70 years. And God says, oh, time seven, (laughs) and whoop, right back up to 490. He says, you got to see the big picture. All right, let's all stand. That's as far as we're going to make it today. Hopefully, you can take a practical nugget or two from that. Let's pray and let you guys have some fellowship. Father, we thank you for your word and all that it has to say to us. Lord, right now, we understand, we know from scripture that you do have an opinion of us. Lord, uh, we want to be pleasing in your sight. We want to be somebody that you can like. We want to be friends. We, we, we want that relationship to be right. We want to understand the matter. Father, continue to help us wrap our minds around this big picture, not just uh, for the nation of Israel, but for us as individuals, the body of Christ. Help us to see it. Bless the service to come now, please, and the fellowship we can have now. In Jesus' name, amen.